You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. All right, good morning. Here we go, day four of Royal Ascot, as it has been all week. It's beautiful, it's bright, it's a little humid, got very, very hot yesterday, and the racing was spectacular. Some truly extraordinary storylines woven through seven races, almost none of which went to plan, but many of which went to script, which will be explained beautifully by the Racing Post senior writer Lee Mottishead on this Friday, June the 23rd. That'll take a bit of beating, won't it? It will, it will. There's a danger when you get caught up in the moment that you start... Um, you start referring to to moments, to hours, to days as as great as as um, occasions that will uh, live forever in the memory. But I think it would be um, a real cynic or a negative individual who looked at what happened yesterday and said it was not a particularly notice, notable uh, Ascot occasion, one to cherish. Um, to have within the space of, what was it, and again an hour and a quarter, the King and Queen having their first winners um, at Royal Ascot. And then an hour and a quarter later for the King to be handing Frankie de Tour with a trophy after he'd won his final Gold Cup. Again, you talk about scripts, you couldn't have scripted that. For, for racing PLC, that was just about as good as it could possibly have got. Yeah, we will talk about the royal winner in a in a little while. I I want to start with the Gold Cup though, and, yep. and Frankie de Tori and the extraordinary way the stars aligned to get him on this horse in the first place, which, but for several different things happening, wouldn't have been the case. Well, de Tori has always spoken of his career um, as something of a roller coaster ride. This week has been a roller coaster week with that nine day suspension on Tuesday but as you say just in terms of getting on both this horse and Gregory uh, his winner in the Queen's Vars on on Wednesday the fact that the stars have aligned so with this horse Courage Monami um, racing for the first time for Wathenden Racing having previously been owned by his breeder Anthony Oppenheimer this horse had been ridden by Rav Rav Havlin John Gosden's number two jockey in his previous outings and Rabbit would have been I think expecting to ride this horse because De Tori would have been expecting to ride Haskoy for Rafe Beckett and Judmont on whom uh, he won a, a group three at Newbury last time but she suffered an injury and was then retired. De Tori's name was then linked with the Willie Mullins trained Echoes in Rain. I saw De Tori for an interview at his home last Wednesday at that point he was looking likely to ride Courage Mon Ami and I said to him you know what do you think of him? And he said he'd ridden him that morning, slow. Who knows? He held no expectations. Yeah, he held. He had no expectations of winning this this Gold Cup. But I and I think as well he wouldn't have had any expectations of winning the Queen's Vars and Gregory until that horse was also sold to Wathenan Racing. That horse was previously owned by uh, his breeder Philippa Cooper, whose horses in the Gosden Yard are ridden again by Havlin, for whom the stars have not aligned. 
at this world meeting so far. They have Vidatori. Um, he again said last week he was approaching the Royal meeting in an unusually, in fact, in an unprecedented, relaxed manner. Normally he'd be stressed going to this meeting. He thought it might be quite emotional. There's been none of that. He's been loving every second. He's been riding accordingly and he will remember yesterday for as long as he lives. Well, before this week at Ascot, there were one or two people saying, mm, who are Wathnan Racing, who purchased Isaac Shelby and Gregory and Courage Monami? Well, we know now um, that the force behind this burgeoning ownership operation that have two high-profile Royal Ascot wins under their belt in as many days is uh, Sheikh Tamim, the Emir of Qatar. Representatives here yesterday at Ascot and uh, Richard Brown, well-known Bloodstock agent, Blanford Bloodstock, and you heard from Richard many times on this podcast, uh, is uh, assisting in putting this this enterprise together and, and, and is with me now. Richard, this has all happened in the blink of an eye, it seems to us. Just tell me a little bit more about uh, how it's all come about. Yeah, morning, Nick. Um, yeah, uh, well, yeah, exciting couple of days, um, I suppose, to start with. Uh, how did this start? This started... Uh, Easter Sunday, actually. Um, so, so it really has happened in the blink of an eye. Yes, yeah, very much so. Uh, it's all been quite a rush, but um, yeah, East, Easter Sunday, and Ollie Tate um, from um, Twin Hills Stud in Australia, who obviously um, worked for Godolphin for a long time, and who I've known for 25 years. We actually lived next to each other when I first moved to uh, Newmarket in about 98, 99. Called me and said, "Look, um, Wathnan, who were." Uh, the leading stable in Qatar over the winter. They bought quite a few horses at the horses in training sale last year, which I sort of was gently helping Ollie in the background just with a couple of things, valuations and stuff like that. Said, so, look, they, they wouldn't mind um, having a go at a few horses in Europe, and Ollie very kindly asked me to help him um, and uh, gave, gave me a bit of a brief about what we were hoping to try and do, and that was to have a, you know, just to get started with a small number of um of quality horses that could compete at the biggest festivals um it wasn't really a brief to go to ascot but there was a brief to go to the biggest festivals and these horses um courage uh courage monomy and gregory uh hit, hit our radar when they won their last starts i meant mentioned the horses to ollie we discussed them and we were very fortunate to be able to buy them both and then, even more fortunate for them to both turn up at Ascot and win. It's, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, a dream start for these people. And what struck me was that they're, they're both homebreds. They were both unbeaten. Both original owners are people who are not exactly under-resourced and wouldn't necessarily have an imperative to sell. Uh, what gave you the idea that they might be on the market? Or, or did you have to go in and say, right, would you consider? Yeah, look, I think... I think that at the end of the day, um, both, you know, Anthony Oppenheimer um, and Philippa Cooper run, you know, they are breeders and they're exceptional breeders. Um, both Anthony uh, Oppenheimer and Philippa Cooper, uh, you know, exceptional breeders. And studs are, you know, they are very expensive um, things to run and nomination costs are very high and the cost of producing these animals is exceptionally high. So, yeah, you, you start with a phone call of, you know, look, um, might you consider an offer and and then obviously you know you have to put together an offer that could work um, could work for them and, and that's what we were luckily enough lucky enough to do and you know 
Anthony in particular came down yesterday afterwards. He is a breeder. He bred the horse. I'd say he got as much pleasure out of breeding the horse yesterday as he would if he owned it. And, um, of course, a complete gentleman came over and congratulated the uh, representatives from Wathnam that were that were there. And it was, um, yeah, look, it, it's, uh, it's a huge achievement for him and also, obviously, for Philippa with Gregory. So, at the moment, it looks like a, a rather plush boutique, the Wathnam stable. Uh, is there any plan to turn it into a an enormous hypermarket. I have absolutely no idea. That's well well above my pay grade. Um, I'm reporting to Ollie Tate, so I will, uh, and he's obviously reporting up the chain um, to Qatar. So I will just continue to do as I'm told. Um, so I, I don't know. We have, there are a couple of other horses we've bought um, who will be out. Uh, he'll be out in the coming weeks, but um, it's it is small and select. I mean, I think. Do we do we know who they are, Richard? Uh, well, I do, obviously, yes. Uh, but uh, we'll just keep them under wraps just to, for a little bit longer. This was all supposed to be sort of very quietly, quietly done, which is uh, which it was until the last couple of days. <laughs> you, can I get you, you? You blow your cover when you go and win a gold cup. That's the problem. It, it, it kind of sets the hairs running. Yeah, I think I think that was exactly it. And yesterday after the race, you know, we sort of said, well, you know, the undercover bit's gone. It's um, we're not, we can't, uh, we, we can't keep this under wraps for much longer. So um, look, hopefully, hopefully, we'll be seeing you know a lot more of, of these colours um, going forwards. Uh, uh, what the big scale plans are, I just don't know. Um, and like I say, we'll just keep going and keep keep following the brief that I'm given by Ollie. Uh, and it, and does that include yearling purchases at the end of the year? Honestly, don't know. Nick hasn't hasn't been discussed at all. Um, the, the brief at the moment was to get a sort of small select group of horses, mm. uh, horses in training, um, which which we're in the process of doing. As I said, we've obviously got the horses you've seen the last couple of days. There's a couple more to come out, and we're, we're obviously following the racing results closely, and hopefully we can add a few more um, over the coming months. But um, I, I don't. I genuinely don't know. Haven't um, that that hasn't even been discussed and- as far as I'm aware yet. Finally, what next for Gregory and Courage Mon Ami? Well, <laughs> I don't know because they're suddenly we've probably got um, you know two of the better horses in that division. Um, the honest answer is I don't know. I spoke to John um, briefly last night when he was driving home. He sort of said, "Look, let's just enjoy this and um, let's just enjoy this." Sorry, a bit of noise in the background. Um, let's just enjoy this, and um, you know then we can. Um, we can make a decision next week. We'll let the dust settle and, um, and, and go from there. Look, um, you know, Goodwood's an important festival, obviously because of the um, because yeah. of the um, That's our connection. sponsorship. Yeah. So I would say that the Goodwood Cup for for one of them would be an obvious target. All right. Well, it's been an extraordinary um, entry into the into the uh, Premier League of, uh, of British horse racing for for Wathnan Racing. We're really uh, grateful for you um, uh, filling us in on, on the background to it. I can't believe it only started on Easter Sunday. Well done. Yeah, I think they've been registered owners for six weeks. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty uh, a pretty sharp upward curve, and more may it continue for them because uh, they're absolutely tremendous people to work with, and um, yeah, they, they they deserve the success because they've uh, they they you know they've really had a good go. So um, no, hopefully we're more to come. So that was Richard Brown, um, who is looking after some of the interest for this new ownership um, group. Watnan Racing, who are reporting to the Emir uh, Sheikh Tamim of, uh, of Qatar, uh, Lee, it's it's gone from zero to extraordinary in a very short space of time. Easter Sunday, yeah, 
they they started even Richard doesn't really know what the rest of his year is going to look like but if you get a start like that they're going to be a an enormous player aren't they they are I mean the only danger is that they their expectations have been set so high that when they start winning novice event novice race at Wolverhampton it's going to seem quite a quite a letdown I think though I mean given and I tried to kind of pry a bit there and Richard was giving away as much as he he was able to when you're buying horses of that high value off people who I'm not saying they don't need the money but they're of significant means anyway are we going to be looking now at a situation that replicates what we saw with Godolphin in the say early to mid noughties when Sheikh Mohammed was it was blank check time and we're going to get so many of these privately owned good horses just being hoovered up that's a really interesting parallel there and yes I I can see um, echoes of that period a period that I'm not sure everyone looks Mm. back on that fondly either I think Godolphin came to to view it as something that they didn't want to to continue and I think there is something a little bit unfortunate in in the eyes of racing fans about all the best horses being mopped up by by one extremely wealthy entity. On the other hand, mm. if you are an owner breeder or an owner who finds yourself with an extremely valuable commodity and there is someone who is willing to um, make repeated phone calls with offers for that horse and then when one offer is turned down, there's another phone call with a bigger offer and that goes on and on and on and almost the, the price becomes irrelevant. Then for those owner breeders, that yeah, is a golden exa- situation. Exactly, and uh, the point that Richard made there is if you are running a stud, however rich you are it is a drain i mean you are pouring money down the drain at that level so you know that if that can keep your stud go one sale can keep your stud overheads you know in check for two or three years you'll you'll take the off al shakab similar situation mid 2010s wasn't it when trev and others were being were being born yeah now now they they have never quite got to the level that i think some people thought they might in terms of ambition or involvement when they when they burst onto the scene. Now this could be a, a different situation. We're, we're, we're talking about the very top of the the family tree in in Qatar. Well, um, we're talking Sheikh Mohammed to Sheikh Hamdan, aren't we? Absolutely, that's the, that's the direct parallel. Yeah, and it, it, if we draw another parallel here, Nick, I, would, I was speaking uh, in the pod uh, on the pod on Monday to Tom uh, about a piece I'd written in the post about um, the King's involvement in racing and pointing out that one of the enormous advantages to to racing of her late majesty was in terms of the without trying to be too mercenary the the commercial advantages that she brought to the sport both in terms of sponsorship and in terms of bringing inward investment from owner breeders from the middle east soft power absolutely that's exactly right now it was it How could it only been championed help. by Matt Hancock and others. Absolutely, uh, it could only have been helpful in that regard that um, the representatives of Wathen Racing yesterday received their gold cup from the King and Queen, and to know that they uh, are set to remain heavily involved in horse racing again, I think, is helpful in that regard. So let's talk about the royal winner then. I mean, in fairness, William Haggis did tell everyone who would listen pretty well, didn't he? And the horse still went off a big prize as a hero. An exquisite ride from Tom Marquand, which is your huntsman ride of the day. Yeah. It was, again, a very tight vote. 
But Hayley Turner got a lot of votes, Jamie Spencer got a lot of votes, uh, Ross Ryan got some votes as well, uh, and Frankie for the Gold Cup, but you made Tom Marquand the ride of the day and I thought it was great. It was a super ride. Um, what a day for Tom Marquand. I, I was down in the paddock before that race and I saw him, he was the first one to get to the weighing room doors waiting to be, to be called out. Um, but then as he approached uh, the King and Queen and William Haggis, there was something slightly sheepish about him. A member of the Ascot team just put a hand on his on his arm as he walked towards them and then they had a, what looked like a very friendly conversation and the conversation would have been much more friendly 15 minutes later because he did give that horse a, a bold, ballsy ride. He was right to praise the horse as well because that horse really responded um, to him. And it went like the clapping they, in that oh race my well, way God. too fast it, in it, the King George. It was it. reminiscent of that 1975 King George when uh, the... the, the, the um, the Bustina team had two pacemakers. They, they really went a gallop, and it, I'm sure it will prove to be a, uh, the excellent race that it normally is. But a, a fine horse, a super training performance. William Haggis was, uh, he, again, he, he always speaks well, but, he, but he, he made the point that it didn't really matter who trained the King and Queen's first Royal Ascot winner. It was just important that they, they had one. And I think looking at their horses this week, they didn't have any that you thought were penalty kicks. It wasn't like last year when they had a when the Queen had a five to one shot that didn't actually win. They had chances, but no real favourite chances. Um, and they looked to enjoy it. Um, the 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 Queen in in particular um, looked very moved by by the occasion. Um, and it 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 did seem something that was significant. Again, as I said to Tom on on Monday, you know. The, the clue is in the name when it comes to this meeting, it's Royal Ascot. And if the Royals aren't involved at a high level, um, I think it, it loses out. And the King and Queen are going to be here every day. We've got um, the Prince and Princess of Wales here today in the in the Royal Procession. Um, have we? We have indeed. How yeah. do you know that? I, I believe in, in... Sorry, not in the Royal Procession, giving out... Well, they must be because they're giving out a prize. They're giving out a prize for ah, the races. Your detective skills are brilliant. So even though the, the palace list doesn't arrive till noon, they're on the, well, tro they're on the trophy presenters I list. suspect if, if they're travelling from Waterloo, it will be a disappointment to them. So I suspect they're in the Royal Procession. Um, Engineering works between Woking and Farnborough. Always to be noted. Yeah, um, yeah no. <laughs> uh, so I, I think it's, it, it's, it's been an important week for for the sport and but I say particularly for Ascot you know that they need that that high level all involvement and that win yesterday one 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 person from the BHA saw me after I said that whatever happens that's the most important result of the week I don't think anyone could really disagree um, well on Desert Hero the hero in the Royal Colours as for as for reach for the moon disgraced himself last year <laughs> and again this time round He'd be in Trooping the Colour next year, maybe, but they'd have to put him at the front as, I don't know, the drum horse or something, because he wouldn't walk past any of the others, would he? No. He wouldn't pass a parked car. No, I wonder if at some point he might find himself in a novice hurdle train by Nicky Henderson. I don't know. Th things. <laughs> He'd hate that. Think he will, probably would hate that. Things haven't worked out with him, but that's a, that's the, that's the thing about this sport, isn't it? Nick? You, you can... You can, you can have a horse like that, that that a couple of years ago you thought might well be a derby winner for the Queen. And as it's turned out, he's just not a horse who really seems to love horse racing. But, but, Lee, here is a question for you. Would Vauban have won the Gold Cup on the performance he posted in the Copper Horse uh, handicap on the first day? That, of course, was over a mile and three quarters, but he wasn't exactly stopping, was he? And Jane Mangan introduced this theme on the podcast last week. 
He should be running in the Gold Cup, she said. Here she is joining me now on the line. Um, not here at Ascot yet, will be later, but has very high level appointments this morning. Right, would he have won the Gold Cup, Jane? I think he would have. I'm not taking away from Courage Monami, but Vauban was very well handicapped off a mark of 101. I'd have loved to have seen it, but it didn't happen. They both managed to win, but uh, do you want to handicap our Gold Cup? Yeah, all right, fine. So, But what is it that makes you think he would have won the Gold Cup? You looked at the Gold Cup yesterday, that the dimensions of the race. Where do you think Vauban would have, would have been? How do you think he would have fitted into that race? I looked at the Gold Cup three months ago and I thought with Kiprios out that this isn't, a, unless somebody steps forward into the, the mould of Stradivarius, this isn't a terribly deep race. And I'm sorry, but Stradivariuses don't come around very often. They come around every 20, 30 years like Yates. So um, yesterday he could have gone either way. They didn't seem like, with the, with the exception of Stradivarius or uh, Subjectivist, he could have just followed that pace. We saw what Ryan, the confidence he rolled with in the handicap going forward, which wasn't the plan, and he started winding up from six out. That'll tell you that Ryan Moore definitely was confident that he would stay, and he hit the line strong. I did laugh a little bit to myself, thinking, well, if the long-term plan is Melbourne, Ryan has won by too far. But uh, it was such an impressive performance, what he did in the handicap. I'm not taking away from Courage Monami. I think it's an, an incredible training performance to get a horse, a four-year-old, with just three runs to win the Ascot Gold Cup. That is somewhat getting missed in the in the magic and fairy tale of Frankie Dottori having his ninth uh, Ascot Gold Cup in his final year. It's, it's, it's quite remarkable. But don't underestimate the training performance that is. I think it's quite remarkable. 150 to 1 was the starting price about the opening winner yesterday. Valiant Force shocked them all, Americans, Irish and British, in the Norfolk Stakes. And it was a... A turn of the wheel of fortune in some style for Ross Orion, who of course had been the retained rider for Ammo Racing and delivered Kia Jarubchin, that long-awaited first Ascot two-year-old winner. A sweet moment, Rosser, no doubt. Describe to me the emotions you felt as you as you passed the post on Valiant Force. Oh, it was more relief than anything. Um, I was um I went to see him after racing the night before and uh he, you know, it, it was time they needed a winner in in Ascot. Um, he's put so much into the game, you know. Even after he won, you know, you know, everyone was saying, you know, he deserved a winner, and finally got one. And you know, you've been associated with this this outfit for a long time. You've you've had your ups and downs. You you stood your ground last year in that in that rather public, uh, I don't know, what would you call it, debate, argument, spat, whatever it was, but clearly there is there is some sort of bond between you that, that wasn't going to be broken. No, uh, yeah, no, look, exactly, Nick. Um, I've always got on with them, even when um, what happened happened, you know, within two weeks it's blown over and, you know, he's he's been very good to me in, in that sense. We've always, you know, he... We, we would speak, you know, most weeks and it'd be just ringing to see how each other is and have the crack. It wouldn't even be about racing, you know. So, yeah, it's um, it's very father-like. He, he's, he's very father-like to me, to be honest. So you put that second cap on yesterday and go out to ride a horse that's a three-figure price. I mean, what are you actually thinking? Do you think you've got any kind of a shot at all? Well... I'd be, I'd be quite honest, if, if you took away his run where he raced on his own in the Curra, his first run, um, when he was second 
to His Majesty. That was that was that was a very good run in the listed race first time up. Um, and he, he even when he raced on his own in the car, he wasn't very far away from the horse of Conor Nans that made um, 1.1 million who ran well in the Coventry. Um, and kind of my confidence grew in the horse when I seen him and, and got on him and got down to the start because he's he's quite a big horse and um, and he's a very good moving horse um, and I knew it would have a lot of gate speed so that was you know half of the time over this trip that, that that's the, the a lot of races are, are lost from the gates more than one but I had a perfect trip around I was always in rhythm and I never I never felt as if I'm coming under pressure a long way out around it and everything went so smoothly it was it was um, incredible to be fair and you'd already ridden a winner at the meeting and, and he in his own way was pretty extraordinary Jimi Hendrix in the in the Hunt Cup the, the previous day I just looked at how far clear you were of your side Richard Morkin was on the show yesterday saying that some of the owners in their in their cups afterwards were talking about the QE2 and targets like that does he give you that sort of feel of a horse who's a who's a proper stakes horse when he's on song like that yeah I would yeah when, when he puts it all together and I, I would imagine because you know I thought you know Rafe said to me going out he said if you make a run and he said I don't mind but we did a few tack arrangements on him because he was so keen in Newmarket and it worked well but he's ended up missing the break but in hindsight it was great because they went flat out and I was I was on the back foot the whole way and you know I wasn't feared to kick him early in the belly because you know we've always thought this lad would get a mile and a quarter no problem um, so stamina was never going to be an issue and I just I, I found it remarkable really the horse himself you know he's won on bottomless ground in Newbury in a spring cup and and then gone to Royal Ascot on quick ground and, and done the exact same and for you this week's going great so far already you could have more winners today you, you've got chances all the way through the card and, a, a, and again tomorrow what's it meant to you to be to be shining on the, on this big stage we've seen you know there's there's top riders who haven't been able to get a look in this week yeah it's it's been what I needed to be honest to just kind of break the real seal and you know to be honest Nick there hasn't been any pressure on me this week because I went into this week and I don't think there was anything that was less than 20 to 1 going into the week you know so I was every race on every horse was if these can manage to finish in the front three, they've ran as good as winning it, you know. And the first day was good. Anaf was second, was third in the King Stand, and Tritonic for Alan King was third in, in the in the two mile four handicap. Um, so, you know, the week had actually for me looking at my rides it started really well. I just couldn't believe it would end up the way it has. Okay, then some monster prices yesterday. What about the world pool? Jamie Hart is is back with us. Jamie, you're going to have struggled to beat the 150s and the 50s, and goodness knows what else, aren't you? Well, yesterday, so far, we've, the Whirlpool's overpaid on 19 out of the 21 winners. The only one yesterday that the Whirlpool didn't overpay on was Valiant Force. It paid just under 150 to 1, but of course, the tape makes up the difference, so you do still get 150 to 1. But I don't think too many people will have been affected by that. I certainly wasn't. Um, we had That also led, though, to some massive trifectas. I think that... Uh, the Norfolk States with Valiant Force winning at that 150 to 1 that broke the 25,000 pound barrier uh, so 
we thought, you know, that's a top 30 all-time trifecta. And then we thought, well, that's that's done well for the day. But the Buckingham Palace stakes with Witch Hunter winning, uh, that one ended up being over £27,000. So immediately broke that the, the Ascot Week record. Uh, two on a day that paid over twenty-five grand. And I think just taking yesterday, just because of those, you know, we had a few outsiders, the... the, the the exactor, so that's the tote, the tote whirlpool one two, that paid paid three thousand over three thousand pounds better on the day versus the forecast. So on average, you were ninety one percent better off. So almost double the exactor across the day paid double, and the tricast, uh, the trifecta versus the tricast, that paid more than double. So you were just under forty thousand pounds better off if you placed your tricast or your trifecta in the whirlpool rather than the tricast. So uh, a massive value in those massive pools because of course you have to have those big pools so that you can pay out those really big numbers that was jamie hart look who's dropped by lisa tan of course official milliner to the nick luck daily podcast and of course the top hat man of old well not london, london, town, london town to just he's back stick with it he's back i mean you're, you're gonna you can't, I can't prize him away from the from the royal ascot pods uh, this week but david great to have you back lisa thank you today you are a vision in pink you've gone for a trouser suit today. Aha, uh-huh. I think I have some more compassion for you gentlemen after today. It was the 20, 26 degrees and uh, the could, first suit Could I, I just point out that yes. that, was, uh, that was addressed at Lisa for, for our, our listeners in case, <laughs> in, in case anyone hadn't already worked that out. Um, Sorry, so Lisa. Why the, so why the change? What's the, what's the thinking for Friday? It was tactical because uh, this is actually part of my Coast collection. So I do a collection for a high street brand called Coast. Uh, it was just millinery last year, and this year we've actually introduced clothing as well. I, I love which that. I've You're so modest. A high street brand called Coast. It's a bit like saying a, a supermarket called Sainsbury's you might have heard of. <laughs> well, I'm glad you've or, heard of it. That's nice. Some of your listeners may not, so you know. Um, so yes, uh, it's a Coast collaboration, this one, and my Coast family are here today, so I wanted to wear, wear the outfit in solidarity with them. And your hat's bold. It is very bold, yeah. When we designed this collection... I said to them, what are you thinking colour-wise this season? And they always just say, as bright as possible. So they let me do whatever I want. And I went, well, if you want bright, we can give you bright. And I've kind of thrown all the colours I could imagine, including a neon yellow, into this striped cinema bow, which sits atop of an ivory disc. And there is a lot of veiling covering it with little spots of colour on the veiling. And it's fantastic for this time of the week when we're all feeling a little bit tired. It's it's sufficient to make sure this Friday afternoon you're not going to be bothered by any undesirables. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I couldn't even kiss you coming in, could I? (laughs) And the the pink pink on the bow and the pink spots reference the trouser suit. Is reference the correct... um... We used Pantone shades to ensure it was exactly the right colour because we created these head-to-toe looks so people don't even have to think about styling their outfits. They're all done for them. Okay, have you noticed anything evolving during the week as regards royal style? We're expecting, of course, the Princess of Wales today. Oh, wonderful. I mean, I can't wait to see what she'll be wearing as everyone else, I'm sure. But yesterday, did you notice Queen Camilla's hat got a little bit bolder than what it has been for the first two days? And we did say millinery is a huge theme on ladies shouldn't say ladies a gold cup day and uh, she definitely delivered in the in the millinery stakes yesterday and of course the royal winner delivered column inches to every broadsheet and tabloid around including david the the organ that, that you um you work for the daily mirror a left of center tabloid how does how does the mirror respond to the royal family and to ask and something that is 
you know, steeped in in British tradition and and you know, the, the class system. Well, I'm the, I'm the racing correspondent, not the political editor. Um, from the if I could speak for the paper's top brass, I think I, I mean, would say Kevin that... Kevin Maguire were here now, what would he say? Well, Ke- Kevin Maguire is, I, I think, rather uncharitable towards the royal family. I, I would say that the paper is broadly supportive of a monarchy. I think it's a, it's a social democratic base politically, rather than a, you know, let's, let's tear down the walls and take up sticks uh, sort of operation. From the perspective of the racing desk, I mean... When, when Queen Elizabeth passed away in September, um, I wrote a thing that said, an obituary that said that she was the single most important person in British horse racing history. And although that triggered a few comments of uh, accusations of, of being a, a lickspittle, um, I think that whilst there are owners who have won more prizes, bigger prizes, etc., uh, among uh, over the last few decades, Queen Elizabeth was somebody f- from from racing's perspective who was the, a, a one-person legitimisation, if you like, of horse racing. She was an apolitical figure. She was at the very least respected, and she was admired and loved around the world. And the fact that she had a passion for breeding and owning racehorses, I felt was a, 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 a a stamp that for millions of people who were in some doubt about the legitimacy of horse racing in 2023 her support of it was a sign that that race the horse racing was a, a supportable activity and Lisa from your perspective as somebody who is in the fashion world and has has developed a, a very significant career within that world and particularly providing uh, hats for big important social events around the world how important was that whole dialogue around you know what what she was wearing what hat she was wearing all that kind of stuff how important was that for you hugely important for the millinery industry on the in the whole uh, just in general the royals wearing hats to anything helps us it doesn't matter whether we're actually dressing them as long as they're wearing them other people will want to wear them as well and I think when King Charles was um, crowned the I won't say disappointing, but the unusual fact about that is that on the dress code it didn't state that women had to wear hats. So naturally we were a little bit worried about how that might be received, but thankfully everyone seems to have worn hats to the occasion and hopefully that means millinery is still alive and well. The head boy and the head girl, David Yates and Lisa Tan. Thank you both so much. Thanks, Nick. Thank you, Nick. All right, here, hang on, Lee, here they come. What, describe what you can see marching towards you. Um, so we've got uh, Neil Neil Phillips, aka the the, the wine the wine tipster, um, who Not has the first time. who has brought brought two bottles. Uh, looks like one white, one rosé. We we have uh, he, his team of, of star chefs, James who, Tanner, James Tanner so, who's yeah, and Chris Tanner's come as well. No, I, I, I'm no expert. But looks like is, is that pulled pork? Actually, it's confit duck. Confit duck. Yeah. So duck bun. We've got a wonderful West Country crab salad. Crab salad, crab mousse. Some crispy uh, squid, and then an, an alternative uh, feta fruity Greek salad with a twist with watermelon. Lisa, I, I've mentioned on this pod in the past that I, I I don't like cheese, but I do like cheesecake. Okay. So I'll leave the the feta. Okay. All right. But the rest, I love a. I, there's a there's a there's a high street uh, chain of restaurants that does a very nice crabby sort of moussey salad starter and I suspect yours is, is of a different level I hope so yeah 
I really do. There's a lot of love gone into this crab salad. Yeah. Okay, where are we going to start, James? I think why not start with the crab salad. Okay. Cool. Crab so salad, Lee, I'm going to pass that we, to you. Do we have any um, cutlery? Yes, 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 we do indeed. And while Lee tucks into uh, the crab salad with a little mini baguette there, Neil Phillips is going to tell me what uh, what we're, we're washing this down with today. Neil? Right, we've headed off to Australia, Nick. Riesling, you know we were talking about great varieties of the day, you mentioned about Bacchus last time, big over here. And I thought, well, we haven't tasted Riesling for some time, so we're heading off down to South Australia, going up north, about 100k north of Adelaide, and I've got a 28 Riesling here, Clocolaire from Watervale. Just pour guys a drop there. There you go, 2018. The, um, okay. the crab is a triumph. Love the bit of um, pomegranate there with it as well. Yeah, yes, so we've got some pureed avocado with it, some avocado pieces, great fruit for acidity. So you get creaminess and you get the acidity with it. Um, it uh, crab's around with a bit of mayonnaise, a bit of lemon. Serve with the mini baguette on the side so you can rip and dip kind of thing. And um, very, very popular. We've done this particular dish here at Ascot for the last six years. Really? And um, we've used, uh, obviously, this mixture of uh, restaurants uh, that we have in uh, Plymouth and Kent as well. And uh, always very, very popular. West Country hand-picked crab meat as well. White and brown? Pardon? White and brown no, or just, no, white? just white? Just white. Well, I want that sweetness from it. That's the idea behind it. And um, like you say, the pomegranate seeds pop in your mouth. I know it's one of Neil's favourites. You, you always have a munch every year on that one, Neil, don't you? I do. Usually, we come round every day, don't I? I'm coming back a bit <laughs> no, later, by the way. I've already been, already been in as well. <laughs> I love this dish. Um, I'm tasting the Riesling, which is very nice. Um, love Riesling. Yes, completely. Yeah. Underrated. Still underrated. Yeah, but, but again, if you go to... It's underrated here, but obviously if you're in Germany or Alsace or even in Australia. Yes. In Melbourne last spring, Riesling there is amazing. They love the Riesling. I love Riesling. Yes. All right, we're going to. That was great. We're yeah. going to move on. It. Let's hear it. Uh, we've got the bow buns here. Indeed. Um, a little bit of uh, uh, a little bit of carbohydrate for you there. <laughs> thank, thank you, Mr. Love. And the, I don't pulled pork, pork James. No, that one's duck. Duck. Coffee duck. Coffee duck. Coffee duck. Slow cooked coffee duck, and then we do um, a glaze on it, which has uh, a little bit of sesame in there, some uh, ketchup manis, which is an Indonesian sweet sauce sauce. Um, a touch of sweet chilli as well. Um, it just adds, I think it cuts through the richness. We have a squeeze of lime. Obviously, yeah, the traditional um, spring onion on there and cucumber as well. And these have been very, very popular. Mm. Uh, hundreds and hundreds uh, per day. Mm. So, um, yeah, and it's just good mix and match. So the concept of the restaurant, obviously, small place. Mm. So you can literally share. And we get customers that order anything from four to... Chris, I think the largest one was 42 dishes. 42 dishes at one table. <laughs> a table, wow. a table, of, a table of 10. Uh, how many thousands of dishes have you done so far? I, honestly, I'm, I'm, I, I am at the point count. of losing count. Yeah. Uh, the, the week, as we know, ramps up even more so. Uh, massive monster day yesterday. Yeah. And obviously, you know, looking forward to really hitting things out today and um, tomorrow. So yeah, lots of food preparation, lots of um, stores coming in for the first thing in the morning. Uh, straight on with the prep and then we open the site up from 11.30. That sort of proper, almost like comfort food. Oh yeah. That, that yeah, comfort duck, that, really. Yeah, big time. Um, I just think it's using, uh, you know, like a slow cooked duck in a bit of a different way as well. Um, and uh, with the sesame and the lime on there and everything, it's something that gets your, gets your mouth going, but yes it is, it's an envelope, it's a pillow isn't yeah. it, that grabs you. Mm. So soft, yeah. so yeah, soft. Yeah. So we steam them delicately, right. and we have a steamer set up for our service, and they're literally filled to order. So we have one guy yeah. who just does bow buns for that visit. Really? Yeah. yeah. 
I much prefer those. Do you know brioche buns have seemed to take over the world on a lot of things? I think that yeah, yeah, too sweet. That's yeah. lovely. Yeah. And the perfect accompaniment to the bao bun is a glass of Whispering Angel. Uh, the ubiquitous Whispering Angel, <laughs> Neil Phillips. Uh, your cellar must be just full of this all the time. <laughs> in Magnum. <laughs> no, in 2021 we got here, which is... But they're obviously having a fantastic few days as well. They've got their bar here for the first time. Why, why has this been so popular? I mean, there's a million Provençal rosés on the market. I mean, this one with a, the most unprovençal name there is, and yet it's, it's taken off amongst the uh, chattering classes. Yeah. Why? I think timing, Nick. I was, they started 15 years ago, just over 15 years ago with this, and I just think they got it right with the name as well. Actually, yeah. something everybody can pronounce. That's a kick-off. And also, really, quality of Provence Rosé, top-notch, has always been very good. I think just that's all come through now. You've got five or six really, really top producers here. And also, there are other wines as well. We've tasted Rock Angel before, which has mm -hmm. got a little bit of oak in it, which I think is really interesting. And people forget about rosé and food. No, yeah, I, I think timing has been great. People in the UK drink rosé all the year round, but Does, particularly this week. Okay, so what, act, what food actually matches with rosé, do you think, James? Brandon, meat and fish. Uh, pork dishes go well yep. with it as well. Uh, sea bass, I've done it with turbot as well, and as a reduction and actually cook with it. Um, so I think it's very versatile, and also, yeah, it's just, to me, you're right, it is all year round, but it is a summer a summer splendour wine. And they're doing really well here. And just remind me what's here. Uh, we've got crispy squid. Uh, Szechuan pepper is in the flour ah. mix with corn flour. A bit of spicy so mayo. Just a little it. bit of. A little bit of tiny, tiny bit of heat, but a bit of spicy mayo which adds creaminess to it. Mm. So it's corn flour, flour, Szechuan pepper. We put a bit of chili in there and a bit of smoked paprika as well. I like that because that batter's not sickly. It's nice light batter. Mm. Oh no, you can't have it too thick. Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean. It goes cluggy, doesn't it? As well, it's, it's too not going to sit heavy. No, on you. no, exactly that. Very light. It, sorry, James, but the other thing about rosé mm. as well, people forget just with some spice as well, it's really great. Yeah, yeah, just definitely. It cuts through it. Yeah. Good. That's, um, I find I either really love or hate squid. That's, mm. that's great. Mm. So it's it's all cooked to order, obviously. So again, there's another gentleman that actually is a, the squid squid boy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's frying squid constantly throughout the service as the dishes get made up. How much wiggle room do you have with squid in terms of how long can you easily give it before it goes wrong right so two ways of doing it obviously we can you can flash sear it mm. and that can be very quick in an exceptionally hot pan uh, fry it like I have here today for this menu coated or you go the opposite way around and you use the squid tubes and then you can stuff them with various fillings and then braise them slowly mm. and that's how you get they go firm yeah. but then they go delicate afterwards and that's how you can cut through it you, but you're right you can't you, you don't, don't get the rubber with it, no. you, otherwise it, it literally turns into rubber on you yeah. so yeah it's either quick or very gentle and slow that's delicious and the dip's fantastic brilliant stuff and uh, Neil knows that I'm a <laughs> I'm a sucker for this sort of stuff so he's bought me a nice chably brutally chilled chably to round off the whole round off the whole piece thank you and this frankly will go with anything <laughs> It'll go with itself as well. <laughs> 9.40 in the morning, not a problem. We might be setting a record this today. <laughs> we might be here. I'll never hit deadline today. This is, this, is, this, this is my challenge. Every time Lee's on the podcast when we're at a festival, I try and get him pissed before he has to go back up to the, <laughs> back up to the press room. This is a pretty early one, isn't it? Chel this Chel is quite early. Festival, they brought in these... Um, whiskey cocktails. Whiskey cocktails. <laughs> yeah. He went upstairs and spilt his coffee all over his computer. Oh, yeah. Did you? It was raspberry purees. This is delicious. Oh, this is good. Nick, you love your burgundies, don't you? You, you know yeah, that. Cl classic, classic white burgundy here. Lovely shape. Yep. I mean, don't really enjoy the Whispering Angel and that Claude Claire Riesling. Stunning, really. Mm. Forget about Riesling. Chris, you're, you're a mad racing fan. 
what's the top tip for today, Lee? Uh, well, I, I, uh, my top tip for today, well, Nick, do I give the tip now or do, do you want me to hold back? You crack on. Okay, well, my top tip for today would be Elder Tory, who had quite a good day <laughs> yesterday. I think he could be in the Group 1 winners' enclosure again today. Lazoo in the Commonwealth Cup at 3.05. Okay. I think she's bound to revel in her return to sprinting the fast ground will suit her um, she goes well at Ascot and I don't necessarily think it will be as uh, as tough a race to win as some Commonwealth Cups in the past I think at about 8-1 to one, Lazoo's a decent bet Phillips is filling this glass up far too far <laughs> that completes today's show Lazoo is Lee's best bet of the day James Tanner Chris Tanner thank you very much indeed thank you, Neil Lee. thank you very much absolutely superb thank food. you, thank you. Um, enjoy day four of Royal Ascot we will be back uh, again tomorrow for a short but bonus episode uh, of the podcast and don't forget to vote tonight in today's huntsman ride of the day that's all from us for the moment if you do enjoy these podcasts make sure you give us a rating and a review it all helps see you tomorrow bye bye you've been listening to nick luck daily brought to you in association with fitzdares the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.